podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Tuesday, the 19th of April, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. If you go to LibertyShield.com and use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, you get 25% off at checkout. From both the hardware and software packages. The hardware package is a router which is posted out to you. The software package is instantly downloaded to your devices you can get using straight away. LibertyShield.com EPL25, the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out both the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. First things first, on this day, the 19th of April, we're going to start by wishing a very happy birthday to Guy Drinkle. Now, before we continue, I am recording myself today due to connection problems. So if this is a disaster, it's all on me, not on Guy. But this podcast would not exist without Guy. Anfield Index would not work without Guy. He is incredibly important. He does an immense amount of work for us. And he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. So a happy 28th birthday to young Drinkle. Not young for much longer, though. Not young for much longer. But enjoy your birthday. Enjoy whatever it is you have planned for the day and for tomorrow. And, um, yeah. That's basically it. Happy birthday, Guy Drinkle. We should have happy birthday music playing now, but we don't. So, let's move on. Uh, winners and losers from this past weekend's Premier League games. So, I think we start off the first winner of the weekend, I think, is Manchester United. Now, they made hard work of it against Norwich, but the fact that they won, Tottenham lost, Arsenal lost and West Ham drew means they've made up ground in the race for top four. They're fifth in the league now, three points behind Spurs with the same number of games played. Went through it yesterday. I think Spurs have the easier run-in, but I do think Arsenal will finish above... I'm sorry, United will finish above Arsenal. Even though Arsenal have the game in hand, it's a very difficult game. It's to be played this week, so we'll find out what Arsenal are made of on Wednesday night. For United, it was just important to get the win, especially at home against a bad team. To go two up and have that clawed back, it would have been very easy for them to capitulate. We've seen them do it this season before. So to show a bit of fight and get back and win the game 
was very, very impressive. Second winners, I'm going to go Brighton. Given the run they'd been on, six defeats in a row, then the draw to Norwich to bounce back and beat Arsenal and then Spurs both away from home in successive weeks is very, very impressive. It gets them back into the top half, which is where they want to be this season. They want a top half finish. It's been their mandate all year long. And I think it's massive for them. And my third winner is going to be Brentford because they're now safe. No matter what happens across their remaining five games, Brentford will be playing Premier League football next season. And that's massive. Because this club is a model of how to run a football club on a tight budget. Brighton the same. Both take very similar approaches in how they operate. And I think it's great to see them both doing so well, sitting there in mid-table, comfortable. Five left for Brighton. Sorry, six left for Brighton, five left for Brentford. Both of them guaranteed a spot in next season's Premier League. If you'd offered them that at the start of the season, they both would have snatched your hands off, especially Brentford, first time in the division. A squad that isn't necessarily full of Premier League quali- caliber players. I was going to say quality, almost said caliber. Um, Premier League caliber players. The keeper's okay. I wouldn't be a big fan, but he's all right. I really like Ayer. I really like Rico Henry. I think the other centre backs are a little bit championship level. It's something they'll have to address in the summer. They've played most of the season without a recognised right back. Sergi Canos played there. He's a winger. Uh, Ayer's playing there now in a back four. He's a centre-back. So they've been able to do that. They've got really good options in midfield. Norgard, Onyeka, Janelt, now Eriksson. The Eriksson signing has worked off a treat, has worked a treat for them. And then up front, obviously, Tony had a little bit of a lull, but he's coming on strong. Mbomo's a good, talented player. Inconsistent, but young. And Wiesa has had big moments. And I think next season, when he's had more time to adapt to the league, we'll see even more from him. So for Brentford, they can be very happy with this season. I think they'll know what they need to address in the summer. A right back and a centre back has got to be priority for them. If they want to stick to a back four, get a right back in, shift Ayer inside next to a new centre back and then Henry at left back. And that's going to be a good back four. You also need to upgrade the backup goalkeeper position because when Rea got hurt, they really struggled. Midfield, maybe one for depth. Up front, maybe one for depth. And you should be okay again. You're well managed. You're well coached. You're well organized. You recruit really well. You put a lot of emphasis on player development. Carry that good work on. And there's no reason you can't repeat what Brighton have done and stay in this division year on year for five, six, seven years. When you're a well-run club, there's no reason you can't do that, regardless of the fact that you are one of the smaller clubs in the division. Burnley's problem, probably a similar size of club. Burnley's problem has been these new owners coming in. They don't seem to have run the club very well since taking over. They haven't invested properly. Neither did the previous owner. You look at the, the shoestring that Deich was forced to work on for six years. As long as you don't do that to your manager, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. So they're my three winners from the weekend. Manchester United, Brighton and Brentford. My losers from the weekend will start with Watford. 
you had an opportunity. You had Leeds, you had Brentford, both at home, both teams that are inconsistent, and you managed to make an absolute mess of it. Lost both games. It's the one at the weekend is a heartbreaker. The one at the weekend is the type of thing that cons- cons- uh, consigns you to relegation. Next up then we'll go Arsenal. Uh, three defeats in a row, four out of five. Crystal Palace, Brighton and Southampton are not games you should be losing if you are a team with serious ambitions of a top four finish. If you're a team, a, a team that believes you're only one or two players away from potentially being a title challenger, you shouldn't be losing those games. You shouldn't be losing to a Southampton team that got pumped last week by Chelsea. When they lose 6-0 to Chelsea and then you lose 1-0 to them, that's really embarrassing. And the manner of performance concerns me as well. I've said it before, when Arsenal get punched in the face, they don't know what to do. Arteta is fine when he has a week to prepare for a game. He can set up a good game plan. He goes to Pep Guardiola's house. He roots through his rubbish. He finds some discarded scraps of paper with tactical information written on them. He brings them home. He pieces them together, sticks them up on his wall, crafts a little bit of a game plan, and it's all fine when it works. But when it doesn't work, he doesn't know what to do. Take a look at that Arsenal game at the weekend. They go behind. He has no idea what to do. It was the same thing against Liverpool. Liverpool scored. Arsenal's heads went. Liverpool scored again. And they just gave up. They just gave up on the game. There was no more effort. Arteta was taking off important players and bringing on like-for-like players. That's not going to change anything. It's just making you weaker. He gave up with focus on the next game. In this game, he took off his fullbacks and brought on attackers. But throwing more attackers on is what spoofers do. We see Ollie do it all the time. We've seen bad managers do that year on year, where they don't really have any kind of in-game changes planned. They don't have any... situational planning you know they go a goal behind oh now what do we do let's just throw on more attackers there's no thoughts of right if we go 1-0 down we're going to change it like this we're going to make it work with the same group of players because this group of players can play in multiple ways Arsenal can only play one way now and this is why I have massive concerns over Arteta moving forward I've said since day one, I think he's out of his depth. This is a massive job. Arsenal's one of the biggest clubs, not just in England, but in Europe. And it's not somewhere you can really go in and learn on the job. Or it shouldn't be anyway. Like this Arsenal team, all season long, have been soft. They've struggled against good teams. Their wins against good teams all had weird circumstances. So they beat Leicester away, but Leicester were in dreadful form at the time, and then Leicester still could easily have gotten a draw, but Ramsdale played out of his mind. 
they played Spurs as things were falling apart for Spurs. They played West Ham without their without three of the starting four defenders. The wins over Wolves are quality wins. Outside of that, I don't know that there's too many quality wins there for this Arsenal team this season. It's been a very bizarre year for them. They beat up teams that were in the bottom six or seven. Like when they beat Southampton earlier in the season, they were in the bottom six or seven. If you go and look at their wins this season, the vast majority of them are coming from teams that were at the time in the bottom six or seven, the teams that you should beat. What would unpolitely be called the dross of the league. But as soon as Arsenal played a quality team, they folded. As soon as they played a team who didn't back down from them, they folded. As soon as they played a team that punched them in the mouth, they folded. And even earlier in the season, you know, when they lost the first three games in a row, when they had the two draws with Brighton and Palace and were completely outplayed, but got draws out of them, they were praised for that. Now, I could give them praise for coming back late against Palace. That's fine. But again, it is Crystal Palace. Massively improved this season, no doubt. But not exactly a team that are going to win anything. They're not a team that are going to win the Premier League. They're not going to get into the Champions League positions. Nothing like that. My third loser is Spurs. And I think it's self-explanatory. You had a big opportunity to capitalise on last weekend's results going in your favour. Put more pressure on Arsenal and extend your advantage before they lost, before they played. And yet you couldn't manage that. Now, this also feeds into why Arsenal are one of the big losers. Spurs lost and Arsenal couldn't take advantage. Despite a favourable fixture. Spurs obviously the favourable fixture as well. Playing at home against a fairly average Brighton team. Who haven't been in good form. After the performance last weekend as well. Where they just tore Villa apart. I really was expecting more. Now Brighton are a better defensive team than Villa. And Graham Potter is a much better coach than Gerrard is at this point. So you can allow a little bit of variance there. But not a 1-0 home defeat where you don't have a single shot on target. You have five shots in the whole game. And they have more. And they work your keeper a couple of times. And then you gift them a goal in the 90 minutes. If If you'd at least got out of there with a point. You'd say, okay, fair enough. Bad day at the office. But we got something from the game. We've extended our lead on Arsenal and now we have that extra point. So even if, even if Arsenal were to go to Tottenham later in the season with both teams having matched results right up to that time, if Spurs had the four point advantage going in, they could afford to lose that game, still have the one point advantage and know that they've got two fairly straightforward games. In the last couple of weeks of the season. If they play Norwich and Burnley. As their last two. Thankfully for them. 
Arsenal messed up as well, but that was an opportunity for Tottenham. It's a bigger opportunity in hindsight, obviously, because Arsenal went on to lose. But at the same time, it was fairly obvious that at some point in the coming weeks, Spurs were going to have a little wobble. Arsenal were in a bit of poor form. And something funky could come out of it. As it happens, what's come out of it is United been able to jump their way back in and put pressure on Tottenham. And we'll see how that works over the remaining games. Tottenham's last two games, Burnley at home and then Norwich away. That's really favourable. Really, really favourable. So if they could have come out of that Arsenal game with a one-point advantage, you would say, okay, in all likelihood now, they're going to finish fourth. If it comes down to goal difference, you just don't know. If they were leveling points, you just don't know. Arsenal have Newcastle away will be tough and Everton at home. They, but they could well go and hammer Everton. They could put six or seven past them. Because they have the, the attacking talent to do it. And when things do click for Arsenal, they can all look very good. Arsenal also play Leeds the week that Spurs play Liverpool, so again, you'd expect Arsenal to take advantage there. But in the coming weeks leading up to that, Tottenham need to get themselves in order. They really do need to get themselves in order. They play Brentford away at the weekend, while Arsenal play United at home. Spurs are hoping for a United-Arsenal draw, and then them to go and beat Brentford that evening. And if that happens, then we've got a five-point gap and things start to look really good for Spurs. So they're my winners and losers. The losers, Watford, Arsenal, Tottenham. The winners, Manchester United, Brighton and Brentford. Brighton because top half would be a big achievement for them. And Brentford, you're staying in the division. Congratulations, Um it's it's been a fun watch with Brighton this season. Tonight we have one game in the Premier League. It is Liverpool versus Manchester United. The biggest game in English football has never had as little build up. This game is the marquee fixture on the English football calendar. Liverpool, Manchester United, the two biggest clubs in the league. Two of the biggest clubs in the world. Probably two of the top five clubs in Europe. Two of the top six clubs in Europe. In terms of size, history, fan base. You'd put Real, Barca, Bayern, maybe AC Milan. Some would argue Juventus. That's fine. It's one of the Italian clubs. Juve don't have the... European pedigree of Milan, so I would always go with Milan. But Juve probably have a bigger fan base. But either way, Liverpool and United are top six clubs in Europe. Even at a time when United are in the doldrums as they are now. But there's no talk of this game. There's no build-up, there's no hype. These aren't teams that are in any way, rivals right now in terms of the on-the-pitch product. Liverpool are 19 points clear of United with the game played less. Now, if we think back 
to the 1920 season when Liverpool won the league. What was it, a 33-point gap between the sides? Last season, United finished second, Liverpool finished third. Liverpool decimated by injuries. <coughs> Still went to Old Trafford at the end of the season and beat United comfortably. Rio Ferdinand and others rushed to announce that United had made up the gap, that United had had drawn themselves back on level terms at Liverpool. Look at the league table now. The gap never disappeared. Liverpool just had injuries. It's as big now as it ever was. Liverpool win tonight. Liverpool win their game in hand. All of a sudden, it's what, 25 points? And over the rest of this season, we don't think United are going to drop more points. We don't think Liverpool are going to keep winning. Liverpool have won cup in the bag. They're in a cup final. They're in a Champions League semi-final. United went out of the FA Cup early. Out of the League Cup early. Out of the Champions League at the round of 16. You never felt this season that United were going to be much. Some people did, and a lot of pundits picked them to finish above Liverpool in the Premier League. Some claimed they were going to be title challengers. Gary Neville was effusive in his praise of United early in the season, claimed that the Premier League had the four best teams in Europe and tried to shoehorn United in there over Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, PSG, etc., etc., etc. Now, United go into this game... Varane is a major doubt. That means Lindelof and Maguire. That's a lack of pace against Liverpool's attack. That's problem number one for them. No McTominay, no Fred. So, no midfield. They'll probably play Matic. He's very slow. They'll probably play Pogba. Doesn't really work in that sort of role. And then Bruno. That's a midfield three that could get absolutely decimated at Anfield. Now, Cristiano Ronaldo is also going to miss this game. Obviously, thoughts are with him and his partner going through something that you'd never wish on anybody. It sounds like the Liverpool fans are going to do minutes applause on the seventh minute um, for him and for his baby boy. I think that's a great gesture. I think it's the correct thing to do. And you'd hope that the United fans will join in and that the whole stadium can can pay tribute to that little boy. But him being out creates more issues for United. Now who plays up front? Is it Rashford? So Rashford with Sancho and Alanga either side. Front three that hasn't really played together. Front three that doesn't really have a big-time goal scorer. Front three that doesn't have any sort of hold-up play or link-up play. Front three of individuals against a team, against individually probably the best defensive players in Europe, the best right back in the world, the best centre back in the world, certainly a top two or three left back in the world. And Matip has had a great season. Kanate might be the best young defender in the world, best goalkeeper in the world. Doesn't really doesn't really read well for United in terms of their chances to this game. 
game will be won and lost in midfield. A lot will depend on what Klopp does. Liverpool will need to have one of Thiago or Naby Keita on the pitch. Personally, I would be hoping for both. But we'll wait and see. It is the type of game where an upset is possible, where United could come in and spoil, maybe hit Liverpool on the counter. But with the midfield that they're playing, it's hard to see how they'd spoil. There's not really enough defensive work rate. As much as Matic might try, he can't move as well as he used to. Pogba doesn't try a whole lot. And Bruno's efforts are mostly trying to carry the team going forward. You would fancy Liverpool to win this game quite comfortably. I'm going to predict a 4-0 Liverpool win, but that's just me being a Liverpool fan. But I wouldn't be... I'd be furious, but I wouldn't be shocked if United pulled something off here because that's just what this Premier League season is. We saw what happened with Southampton and Arsenal at the weekend. Obviously, Liverpool are a much better team than Arsenal, but United are a better team than Southampton as well. So it could be anything. It could be anything. But we're going to go for Liverpool win. There's a bunch of games tomorrow. We get Everton, Leicester... Chelsea Arsenal, Newcastle Palace and City Brighton. So we'll talk about them tomorrow. Burnley versus Southampton is our Thursday game. And then we have a full full round of games on Saturday. The other thing for Liverpool, win tonight, you go top. You push all the pressure back on City. They're playing Brighton tomorrow. They should beat Brighton. But still. Keep the pressure on them as much as you can. Because they're going to have the chance at the weekend. They play Watford on the Saturday. Liverpool don't play Everton till the Sunday. So if City win, it's a four-point lead. And then Liverpool have to respond on the Sunday. The following weekend, it goes in reverse again. Liverpool play early on the Saturday away to Newcastle. City play late on the Saturday away to Leeds. Again, you'd expect both sides to win these games. It's a little bit of cat and mouse. But you've just got to keep passing that pressure. Pass that pressure and hope one of the others buckle. If neither does, City will win the league. It's as simple as that. Liverpool needs City to slip up. And the best way for them to do that over the remaining seven games is to just continually win. And force City to go out and win their games. Right, Championship yesterday went through some of the scores as they were going on on yesterday's show. Peterborough beat Barnsley 2-0. That gives Peterborough a very small chance of staying up. Now, it is a very small chance. They are seven points behind Reading with three games left. Both sides have three games left. Both sides have the worst defensive records in the championship and two of the worst defensive records I've ever seen. Peterborough have conceded 83 goals this season. Reading have conceded 82 goals this season. Reading, though, have scored 54 to Peterborough's 38, and that's how they've been able to pick up more wins. But, but, Peterborough do still have a slight glimmer of hope because it wouldn't be Unlike Reading, 
to lose three in a row. It would, however, be very unlike Peterborough to win three in a row. So we should assume Peterborough will be going down. One team we know is going down is Derby County. They lost 1-0 to QPR yesterday. And with three games left, they're now 10 points behind Reading. So they have been relegated. They will head in to League One next season. But obviously there's bigger issues at, at Derby. The ownership has not been sorted out yet. There's still a black cloud hanging over the club. There's still that threat of liquidation. The administrators have done a fairly poor job at getting this turned around, but they've lined their pockets and that's all that really matters to them. Wayne Rooney said he hopes that Mel Morris loses sleep. So do I. I hope he realises what he's done to a great football club. Derby is an institution in English football. Derby is part of the legacy of the man I think is England's second greatest manager of all time, Brian Clough. I think Bob Paisley is first. Clough is second. There where he really... that Derby is where he really made his name. Derby is a club that's hugely important to the local community, hugely important to its fan base, and those fans are now having to suffer through not just the horrors of relegation, but also the potential that their club won't exist in a few months' time. I do think Wayne Rooney deserves huge credit. Remember, if it wasn't for the points deductions, they would be 17th and comfortable. Even if they'd only had one of the points deductions, they'd still be in with a shot of staying up. If it was the, if they'd only had the 12 point deduction, they'd be on 40 points, one point behind Reading. If they'd only had the nine point deduction, they'd be on 43 points, they'd be above Reading. So the players are not being relegated for any fault of their own. The players, the manager, they've done enough to keep the team up. They've done enough to finish, well, as, as things stand, in 17th position. They've been relegated because of the actions of Mel Morris and other people, not because of anything the players have done. And I think Wayne Rooney deserves huge credit for the way he's been able to keep that that team playing. Like you look at their defensive record, 49 goals conceded in the bottom half, Hull, Stoke, and West Brom are the only three teams. Oh, sorry, and Preston. The only four teams with a better defensive record. But West Brom spent most of the season in the top half. They should be a top half team. In the top half, you've got QPR. Actually, I I tell a lie. West Brom are in the top half. They're 12th. They're the lowest spot of the top half. So you've only got Stoke, Preston and Hull with better defensive records. You've got two teams in the top half, Coventry and QPR, who've got worse defensive records. They scored 42 goals. It's not great. It's not great. Hull, Peterborough and Barnsley, the new teams that have scored less than Derby, but they've still done enough to stay up. They're being relegated by 
for financial reasons. And yes, they deserve some punishment for how flagrantly poorly Mel Morris ran the club and, and how stupidly he spent money. And obviously there's certain managers that will escape criticism, as is always the case, for the money that they threw around without any real plan. But it is. It's just tough to see. It's tough to see. Barnsley, who lost to Peterborough, they're as good as down. They're 11 points behind Reading, but they do have four games left. It's very unlikely Barnsley are going to win four games in a row. Very, very unlikely. So Barnsley will almost certainly go down as well. So Peterborough, Derby and Barnsley almost certainly going down. Fulham, they played tonight. If they beat Preston, they are guaranteed promotion to the Premier League. They are six points clear of Bournemouth. Bournemouth won yesterday a 1-0 win. Oh, sorry, a 3-0 win over Coventry. Uh, Huddersfield beat Middlesbrough in that early kickoff. That was a key game in the playoff race. Keeps Huddersfield in third. Borough dropped to ninth, but do still have a game in hand and could force the way back in with four games left in their, their battle for promotion. As things stand, it's Fulham. Bournemouth, Huddersfield, Luton, Nottingham Forest, Sheffield United. Then Millwall having a sneaky decent season. Blackburn, Borough, QPR. QPR look like they're about to sack their manager as well. Who I think's done quite a good job. Coventry who started the season really well and just tailed off. They didn't have the experience or the depth of quality. West Brom who made a catastrophic error. In hiring Steve Bruce. Swansea, Stoke, Preston, Blackpool, Cardiff, Bristol, Hull, Birmingham and Reading. And then the bottom three. Still lots to play for. Still the potential for one of Huddersfield, Luton or Forest to jump Bournemouth. If Bournemouth had any kind of wobble between now and the end of the season. Still the potential for Millwall, Blackburn, Borough, QPR, or even Coventry to jump their way into the playoffs. Relegation looks like it's settled. And Reading should count themselves incredibly fortunate. Incredibly fortunate, because the only reason you're staying up is because Derby had those points deducted. If all things were based solely on what's happened on the pitch, Reading would be going down. And Reading would deserve to go down. Uh, to quickly look at the League One table, Wigan are top, four games left. Rotherham are second. Level on points with MK Dons, but a better goal difference and they've played a game less. Plymouth are fourth, Wickham fifth, Sunderland sixth. Sunderland desperate for promotion. But Sunderland have only played, sorry, Sunderland only have one point more than Sheffield Wednesday and have played a game more. And Wednesday have a better goal difference. So even a draw in that game in hand would see Sheffield Wednesday force Sunderland out of the playoffs, which I think their fans might lose their minds. Then we get Sheffield Wednesday, obviously 7th, Oxford 8th, Portsmouth ninth, Bolton 10th. Sad to see what's happened to them as well. 
another club where you'd question whether the administrators did a good job. Wigan, likewise, but credit to Wigan. What a turnaround this season. They should never have been relegated. Remember why they went into administration. If you've never heard that story, go and just Google... Um, What's the best thing to Google? Bets on bets on Wigan going into administration. Just Google those things and you will see that there was very clearly a calculated, or it might have been Wigan getting relegated, something like that, but there was a very, very clearly a calculated effort by some very shady people in Asia to have Wigan relegated. Go and read the story of what's happened to Wigan. It is eye-opening, to say the least. The price of football with Kieran Maguire and Kevin Day. They've done some really good podcasts on it. Go listen to them either. Uh, Ipswich are 11th, Cambridge 12th, Cheltenham 13th, Accrington Stanley 14th, Charlton 15th. They'll be disappointed with that for sure. Shrewsbury in 16th, Burton Albion in 17th, Lincoln City, Morecambe and Gillingham. Then the relegation spots at the moment. Crew have been relegated. Doncaster second from bottom. AFC Wimbledon third from bottom. And Fleetwood Town fourth from bottom. Now, Fleetwood have a game in hand and are only a point back from Gillingham with a superior goal difference. So a draw there would see them out of the relegation spots and would drop Gillingham in. Fleetwood have three games left. Gillingham two games left. Some teams have four games left. But that season is getting very close to the end and still lots to play for. It looks like Wigan should come up. But second is up for grabs. The playoff spot's up for grabs. And the relegation, still a lot to play for down at the bottom. In League 2, at the top, we have Forest Green Rovers. They are as good as up. They have a nine-point lead on fourth place Northampton. Three teams up automatically from League Two. Nine-point lead and a plus 16 goal differential. They're as good as up. One, They've also got a game in hand on Northampton. One Northampton dropped point or 1.4 Forest Green and they will guarantee themselves automatic promotion they're five points clear of Exeter you'd expect Forest Green to win the division Exeter second Port Vale third Port Vale two points ahead of Northampton two points ahead of Bristol uh, Bristol Rovers that is so three teams in the battle there for kind of third but you could pull Exeter in and you could say four teams in the battle for second and third then it's Sutton United then Tranmere Tranmere level on points with Mansfield. Mansfield have a game in hand. So they could lob themselves back into the playoffs. Uh, Salford in ninth. Three points outside the playoffs. I think I speak for a lot of people when I say I'd hope that Salford will fail to get promoted. Because financial doping shouldn't be allowed at any level, Mr. Gary Neville. Uh, Then Newport County, then Swindon. Shout out to Paul Sterrett. Crawley Town, Leighton Orient, Hartlepool, Rochdale, Walsall, Carlisle United, Bradford City, again, another club. See what's happened to them over the years. is horrible. 
Like they were a Premier League club 20 years ago, maybe 21 years ago. It might even be a bit longer, but they were, they've been in the Premier League, I think at least twice. And, um, they've just had some very harrowing times. Then Colchester, then Harrogate, Stevenage, Oldham, another club where you, you, hear, you read the stories, you hear what's said about what's going on with the ownership. And it's a disgrace. And it looks like Oldham are about to be relegated to the National League, which is really, really tough. And then Scunthorpe have already been relegated. They finished on 25 points. They're 16 points behind Stevenage. So they're gone. So again, lots to play for at the top in terms of playoffs. And Oldham scrapping for their lives there at the foot of the table hopeful that they can pull something off we might as well jump in and have a look at the national league as well stockport are top and they should come up they should come up automatically there's a weird six-team playoff where two teams automatically go through the semi-finals four teams meet in the quarterfinals, the winners of those go into the semi-finals to play the, the two semi-finalists. Stockport are top. Looks like they'll come up. Wrexham second, Halifax third. At the moment, they'd take the semi-final spots. And then Sully Hill Moors would play Knox County. Chester, Chesterfield would play, uh, Grimsby. Again, Knox County. Another club where horrendous ownership did untold damage. Dagenham and Redbridge, Torquay, Boreham Wood, FA Cup, Heroes this season, Bromley, Yeovaltown, Southend, Woking, Aldringham, Wheelstone, Maidenhead, Barnet, Eastley, Aldershot Town, and Kingsland Town are going down, Weymouth are going down, and Dover Athletic were unable to fulfill their fixtures this season so they've just had all their points taken away and they finish on zero so they've been relegated uh and that's where we stand we'll take a break when we come back bit of news bit of gossip and we're done for the day see you in a sec Right, welcome back. So, the BBC have been putting together this Wonder Kids team over the last couple of months. And they had Ethian Green in goal, the English keeper at St. Ethian. Keikai, the young Brazilian centre-back, and Josco Gvardi, all as two-thirds of the back three. They've now finished off that back three with Julian Timber of Ajax. Massive talent. And there is a new book out on Ajax called Glorious Reinvention, written by Karen Tejwani, who I've had on this podcast before to discuss his previous book, Wings of Change. Do make sure to go and pre-order that book. It might, be, it might be out. It might have come out yesterday. Either way, make sure and go and buy that book. It will be very good. Karen is very, very good. So he's written a bit about about Timber, but do make sure 
to give this book a read. This or this piece of read. It's a really interesting profile of an exceptionally talented young central defender who's comfortable in a two or a three, can also play right back in a back four. Only made his debut for Ajax in March of 2020, already being linked with moves to top clubs for this summer. I'd like to see him stay for at least another year at Ajax. I think he needs to get bigger. I think he needs to get a bit stronger. But his talent is absolutely off the charts. So he completes their back three. They've got Gravenberch, Musiala, Gavi, Florian Wirtz, Suleimana as a midfield five, and then uh, Julian Alvarez up front, other striker to be revealed, I assume, next week. But yeah, do give that a read. Um, Manchester United will not repeat Liverpool's 30-year title wait, says Ralph Ranić. He's come out with some strange things in the last couple of days. So, I'll just go through this piece. So, he said, it won't happen. They're not going to go 30 years without a title. They are now nine years, I'll point out, without the title. There needs to be a rebuild for the future, says Ranić. I suppose this 30 years without a title will not happen because it's pretty obvious what needs to change. Okay. What needs to change? Go on record and say what needs to change. Don't say it's pretty obvious because no one at United knows what's needs, what needs to change because they're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. If you know what you're looking for, it will take two or three windows, says Ranić. If you don't know what you're looking for, it is a needle in a haystack. Well, the people at Manchester United don't know what they're looking for. And you're not going to be then there next season because they're not a serious football club. If they were... Ralph Ranić would be the director of football. John Murtaugh would be out of a, out of a job, as would Darren Fletcher. They'd have somebody qualified running football operations, and they wouldn't have a man who's done an absolutely appalling job at negotiating contracts in a position to, to be head of negotiations. Contracts and transfers, he's made a mess of everything. So there are six current players at Liverpool that Ranić has worked with. Firmino, Matip, Mane, Keita, Kanate and Minamino. Now, he had little to do with Minamino because his focus was more on Leipzig than Salzburg. Um... But he did sign Kanate. He signed Naby Keita twice. And he signed, in a way, Sadio Mane for Salzburg back in the day. Matip at Schalke, he would have only managed for a couple of months. Because he didn't last very long there. Um, the, the second time around. Firmino at Hoffenheim, I'd imagine that was towards the end of his spell at Hoffenheim. It's not complicated, it's not rocket science. Liverpool finished 8th in the season, Jürgen arrived and it took two transfer windows. Did it? Two? Didn't buy anybody the first year. Oh, we bought Marco Grujic. But Liverpool finished 4th 
in Klopp's first full season. That's not really going to cut it for United. They finished fourth in the second season. Now, they did get to a Champions League final, but they still finished fourth in the league. It took more than two than two windows. It took more than two windows. You could argue it took five before Liverpool became a real team. It's strange to come out and say United won't have that long to wait when there's nothing concrete to suggest that they won't. To me, anyway, it seems strange to come out and say that. Uh, England's Euro matches and the Wembley final have sold out, which is in for the, the women's Euros, which is massive and great to see. Old Trafford is hosting the opening, opening ceremony, followed by England against Austria, and that game is sold out. England will then play Norway in Brighton and Northern Ireland in Southampton, and again, both of them are sold out. And the final, which will be at Wembley on the 31st of July, is set to break the attendance record for a women's football match in England. Now, you'll remember recently at Barcelona, massive sellout. So this is great. All 87,200 tickets have been sold for the final. This is great to see. This is great to see. Now, there has been some criticism from Iceland. Iceland are playing two of their European Championship group games at a training ground, which is a shocking decision, says Sarah Björk Gunnarsdottir. Iceland face... Oh, it's at Man City's Academy Stadium. Iceland faced Belgium and Italy at Manchester City's Academy Stadium, which has a capacity of 4,700. What I will say is that the pitch is phenomenal. But, yeah, it should be at a bigger stadium. It's Manchester. There's a bunch of bigger stadiums within an hour. A bunch of them. There's a bunch of Premier League clubs Championship clubs and League One clubs in the vicinity of Manchester. If you don't want to use Old Trafford or the Etihad, use Burnley, use Blackburn, use Wigan, use Oldham, wherever. Oldham might be a little bit dated, but still, there's a bunch of stadiums that could be used. So the stadiums which are being used are Old Trafford, St Mary's, Bramall Lane, Brighton, Stadium MK, Brentford, New York Stadium, which is 11,000, Lee Sports Village, which is 8,100, and the Manchester City Academy Stadium. I would say, look, Lee, Lee Sports Village is, is a great stadium. It genuinely is. It's a rugby league stadium. Um, but Blackburn's reserves and United's reserves play there as do United's women's team. It's a lovely little stadium. But, again, you you could be using Wigan. Wigan is just down the road from Lee, as far as memory serves. You could be using that. 
And again, you could use Blackburn or whatever for for that other game the, instead of the Manchester City Academy Stadium. I, I can see her point. I can see her point. But it should be a very exciting time for these women getting to play in a major tournament and knowing that there's far more focus on it, there's far more emphasis on it, there's far more promotion around it, far more hype about it, as opposed to previous years where it just kind of happened and nobody paid it much attention. Now, I'm not saying she should just accept having to play at an academy stadium. I'm not saying that at all. But on the whole, this is much better than four years ago. Um, Let's do the gossip. Manchester City have agreed personal terms with Borussia Dortmund and Norway striker Erling Haaland. So this came out last night. I think it's Mike Keegan in the Daily Mail. Don't know anything about him. I know he wrote a book on Oldham. Uh, which is a good book. But I, I don't know anything about his credentials as an actual news-breaking journalist. Nobody else is reporting this, not even the spoof or any of the tap-in merchants. None of them have come along and backed it up. There's been nothing from the likes of Ornstein or Sam Lee or any of that. So we'll wait and see. City are poised to trigger the 62 million release clause in Haaland's contract. It's a great bargain price for him. The wages are out of control. All the other fees around it are insane, so we'll wait and see what happens. What I will say is, I have some concerns over his health long-term. He's had a lot of injuries. I have concerns. He's going to be great, but how long will he be great for? I saw someone compare him yesterday to Zion Williamson. Now, for those that don't know, as an NBA player, who's about 6'8", but he's about £300. And he's an explosive athlete, but he's very heavy. And his body can't quite cope with the explosive nature of his game. And I wonder if the same thing could happen to Haaland. Real Madrid are reluctant to meet Haaland's wage demands because they do not want to unsettle their dressing room of stars by making the striker the highest paid player in the squad. I wouldn't imagine half a million a week is a whole lot higher than what the likes of Cruz and Modric are earning. It's also less than Gareth Bale earns, so that story is nonsense. If a deal for Haaland does not materialise, they may target Edinson Cavani. Yes, because when I want to buy myself a Ferrari and can't afford one, I often go and look in the scrapyard for ladders and such. Uh, Real Madrid are closely monitoring Reese James. Nonsense. RB Leipzig have put a £54 million price tag on Christopher Nkunku. Somebody will meet that and get an absolute bargain. I hope it's Liverpool. I would sell Mane and buy him. Mane is great, but he's got a year left in his contract. He's not the player he was. He's becoming a different type of player, a very efficient player. But if so, if Real Madrid want themselves or you know want themselves a new attacker because they can't get Mbappe or Haaland, how about Sadio Mane? PSG, you lost Mbappe. How about Sadio Mane? Sixty million. Turn that into Christopher Nkunku, six years younger, long-term contract. That makes sense to me. PSG are hoping to sell Mauro Icardi and Leandro Paredes this summer. And they should be able to. They should be able to. Icardi is a guaranteed goal scorer. Paredes is very good. Luis Luis Suarez could be set for a reunion with Steven Gerrard at Atletico Madrid. 
Gerard wants to get the band back together. He's got Coutinho. He'll probably hope to keep him. Adding Suarez at his age, a bit of a bench option. Can't be a bad thing. West Ham are considering a move for Nick Pope. I would rather keep Ariola. He's younger. He'd be cheaper. I'd rather keep Ariola. Uh, saw a story today that Newcastle have been turned down by Darwin Nunes and set their sights on Ivan Tony. I really like Ivan Tony. I think he'd be a sensible buy. He's been there before. I don't know if he'd want to go back. Leon are among the clubs currently in talks with Alex Lacazette. If he wants to play Champions League football, he won't go back to Leon. I could see him going to Sevilla this summer. They're not going to keep Martial. Then get him on a free. I think they'd be better off. Inter Milan's directors are open to taking Romelu Lukaku on a loan deal. Of course they are. Juventus want to take Paul Pogba back to Turin on a free transfer, but will face fierce competition. Not just normal competition. Fierce competition from PSG and Real Madrid. I don't think they will. Liverpool target Serge Gnabry is in talks with Bayern Munich over a contract extension. I'm not sure he's a Liverpool target. I wouldn't say no to him, though. Matt Target wants Newcastle to make his loan move permanent. Understandable, he's done quite well there since joining. He's got three years left in his contract to Villa. So Villa will want probably 15 million. Newcastle are in a prime position to sign Rangers 18-year-old youth team product Alex Lowry after his agent held talks with the Magpies head of recruitment. It's Football Insider, we won't pay too much attention. Chinesia won French-born Southampton defender Jan Valery to switch allegiance and play for them at the World Cup. His mother is Tunisian, so he is eligible. Real Madrid lead the... Sorry, Arsenal lead the pack of Premier League suitors to sign Marco Asensio. Um, I, 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 I have a hard time imagining there's a pack of Premier League suitors. His wages will be ridiculous and he hasn't been very good for the last three years. Super talented, but he's never been the same since that knee injury. Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag are close to completing their negotiations, but will wait to announce the official deal until a £2 million compensation clause has been agreed. This is from the spoofer, and the fact that he seems to know what the release clause is and still thinks there'll be negotiations on that shows he's making this up. Ten Hag will go to United. That's not what's holding it up. Real Madrid are looking into the possibility of signing Antonio Rudiger. Uh, he doesn't start for them unless they move to a back three because Militao is better and so is David Alba. Rudiger t- turned down Manchester United. His priority is a club guaranteed to qualify for next season's Champions League. Um, okay. Aaron Ramsey's loan from Juventus to Rangers will not be made permanent after he suffered another injury. He also hasn't been very good for them. Fulham want Fuller and Balogun on loan next season with the Cottagers on the brink of promotion. The 20-year-old United States-born forward is on a season-long loan from Arsenal to Middlesbrough. No, he's not. He's on a six-month loan from Arsenal to Middlesbrough. West Ham are set to trigger the one-year option for Angelo Ogbonna. David Ornstein had that story yesterday. 
Norwich have revived their interest in Aston Villa's 24-year-old English striker Keenan Davies. Keenan Davis currently on loan at Nottingham Forest. If he's open to a championship move, he should just look to stay at Forest unless they come up. In which case, I'm not sure he's who they should look for. But he's been really, really good since um, since joining. I do think he's out for the rest of the season, though, isn't he? It looks like, yeah, he is out for the rest of the season. So if Forrest don't come up, they should try and keep him on a permanent deal. I don't think Villa would want massive money for him. Five million, maybe? Uh, if they do come up, I'm not sure he's a Premier League caliber player. But they might just be worth, it might just be worth keeping him anyway for a bit of depth. Uh, Monaco sporting director Paul Mitchell has been closely monitored by parties interested in buying Chelsea. Again, David Ornstein had that story yesterday. And that is it for today, folks. That is me. I hope this has gone okay and the recording has not gone too badly. Uh, hopefully normal service will resume tomorrow. But I will leave you with that and wish you all a good evening. Enjoy the game if you choose to watch it. And if you don't, have yourself a bit of cake in honour of Guy Drinkle's birthday. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.